0: We are here today as every day to know God and make him known. And we are doing that by celebrating the first day of Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, by beginning a sermon series in which we will look at the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And, and so this sermon series titled Incarnate reminds us that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, put on flesh and came to serve us. And that is what Christmas is all about. And as our decoration reminds us, Christmas is simply the beginning of the work that Jesus would do on the cross for you and I, that we might be redeemed. And so both Christmas and Easter are intimately linked together in God's great plan to make for himself, save for himself, a people Out of a darkened and sinful world. And and so this, this sermon series on incarnate. Will help us to understand the price paid. For your salvation and mine. A lot of us we look at the cross and think that was it. But the truth is that Jesus Began to pay for your salvation. Began to experience things and give up things for your salvation. From the very moment that he began the process of being formed together in Mary's womb. And that is the the whole idea of incarnation or being incarnate. It, It is to help us understand that God was invested with bodily and especially human nature and form. That he made himself manifest to us and comprehensible as he took on flesh to walk amongst us and ultimately to live and die on our behalf for the sake of sin. So today we want to look at this first Sunday of Advent and and to see the the beginning of the story that that peace is brought to us by Jesus Christ. In fact, he himself is peace incarnate. He is peace in the flesh. Uh, Kids who were doing the the, um, bingo cards... Be sure you're filling these in because I'm trying to drop you bombs like you wouldn't believe and they're going to come fast and furious. Do not call out bingo, please. Uh, Adults, you might be wondering, what, the kids have bingo cards and we don't? It's because we actually don't believe you will have the restraint to not call out bingo if you win. Uh, and, And so we can trust the children, but not many of you adults. We might have a discussion, a question, when does the Christmas story begin? When does the Christmas story begin? Now, you and I, we, we maybe can wrap our heads around this question. And we go, well, it begins at about 8.30 on Christmas morning when the kids have already made coffee and breakfast is just coming out of the oven because they cooked it. And then we'll sit around and read the Christmas story. And that's when Christmas begins. That's the beginning of the Christmas story. Or the beginning of the Christmas story is when Ralphie finds the Red Ryder BB gun in the, the ad. And that's when he wants it. And that's, that's the beginning of the Christmas story. Now, you, you know what I mean, though. You know that what, when I'm asking what is the beginning of the Christmas story, when we look to the manger, when we look to the birth of Christ, when does this story actually begin? Where is the, 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 the moment in Scripture that we see it kick off? And a lot of us might look somewhere like Luke, chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. And, and here is where we first see the promise of the Messiah being announced to young Mary. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to his son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. A lot of us, as we read the Bible, as we look at the story of our redemption, we say, the beginning of the Christmas story, it starts here. Where we know, in that very moment, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. And she began to, to, to experience the growth of young Jesus within her womb. That this is the beginning of the Christmas story. But actually, even in this moment... Even in this very moment, God's word tells us that this story had a beginning that's earlier than this. Uh, It it says, he will be great and be called the son of the most high. This isn't something that occurs in this moment forward, but something that occurs in eternity past, according to what scripture teaches us. Others of us, we might have turned to someplace like Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 or Luke chapter 2. And we would have read the Christmas story and said, this is the beginning of Christmas. But the truth is, is Christmas doesn't start the, the night Jesus was born. It doesn't start the day that his conception is announced. Instead, we find actually that the Christmas story doesn't even start all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Where we see in verse 15, the first promise of a Messiah But the Christmas story starts even earlier than that. Because what we have to understand before we ever get to the incarnation, before we ever get to the birth of Jesus, is we have to understand who he is leading up to that birth. And he is not a man who simply came to being in his mother's womb at the voice of an angel and the the work of the Holy Spirit, but he is God. And so to understand who he is, John actually goes to the very, very beginning of the Christmas story. To the very beginning of the moment the story of our redemption begins. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We're going to be looking at these, these few verses Kind of closely and then expanding them to get us to the point where we understand what is meant when we say that Jesus is peace incarnate. So John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. And most of us are familiar with with this passage. We've read it before. We've maybe even memorized it. We've used it in argumentation against others who believe false doctrine. And here's what God's word says in John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. Please excuse me ahead of time. My throat is scratchy, and then singing... And in preaching and teaching Sunday school, I've already been running my mouth quite a while. And so it's starting to wear out a little bit. I might have to pause and take a quick cough break from time to time. So John gives us this beautiful passage here. Like I said a lot of us we've maybe maybe memorized it or we've 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 read it before and so looking first in verse 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was god or was with god and the word was god. First question is when John says the word to whom is he referring? Jesus. It's so critically important that we understand this. First and foremost, when John says the word, he is talking about Jesus, the very same Jesus that will be walking the streets, not much further in his gospel, the very same Jesus that will go to Jerusalem, the very same Jesus that will walk on water, the very same Jesus that will cast out demons, turn water into wine, feed thousands of people with small lunches, the very same Jesus that will die on the cross and rise again. John says to us is the word. And when we see this used in the, the original language, it really harkens back to reason, um, revelation. And so Jesus is the word. He is, he is something significant. He is a unique individual. So when, when we look at this, first of all, Jesus or in the beginning was the word, we must understand that Jesus is eternal. There is never a time when the word or when Jesus was not. In fact, huge fights within the church have taken place about the nature of who Jesus is prior to the incarnation. And we must understand that the Bible clearly teaches when John says, in the beginning was the word, that before time even kicked off, when we're looking at who is there when this world is created, it is the word. Now, if you look at that word was in the original language, it is a verb, and it is a verb, it is imperfect, and it is in the past. And, and what does that mean? You might just be like, well, that doesn't matter. Well, scholars in Greek tell us that it is significant because just in the verb that John uses, he is helping us to understand that the word is infinitely eternal in the past. He was, always was, continues to be was, It is such a huge, never-ending word, this was. And so in the beginning, eternity past was the word. There is never a time when the word was not. Some of us, maybe we look at the manger and we think that God the Son somehow popped into existence in that manger. Or we look at Jesus' baptism and think that the Spirit of God came upon him and this new creature, God the Son, was born. No, we must understand that God the Son, the Word, has always existed from the very beginning of everything and before. The second thing this verse teaches us is that the word was with God. Now you might go, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was like God. Yes, but he's also a discreet person. Now what does discreet mean? Some of you are thinking of discreet, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T, which means quiet. This discreet means a unique individual. Jesus is a discrete person. He is separate from God, but he is God as well. So scripture reveals to us this discrete person of Jesus exists, has always existed. And it reveals to us that there is the Father and God, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So we have three persons revealed to us as God In Scripture three persons revealed to us as God and so John's going to continue this this explanation because he's saying the word has always been and the word was in the presence of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and the word was God. And so we see that Jesus is God. So if Jesus was with God, but he is God, we begin to have this beautiful picture of the Trinity painted in John 1.1. 1, 1. We see that Jesus, the word, the eternal being, who is unique as a person in the presence of God, is actually one with God. And so, this is a classic picture that tries to help us begin to understand the Trinity. Now, can we ever really wrap our mind around the Trinity? No. And I'll tell you why. When you take an infinite, perfect, holy God and draw Him down into terms that you can understand, you have stolen from Him His deity. There is no way... That we can completely and fully describe the nature of God's relationship within the Trinity in ways that we can understand. You know what's funny? We can't even understand what goes on in our own hearts and minds and try and explain it to someone else in a clear and concise way, can we? And how do I know that's true? I've been married for almost 29 years. And try as we might. We still cannot fully describe what goes on within our own hearts. Why would we be surprised that we cannot understand the nature of the relationship of the Trinity? We can't completely wrap our head around it. So what we have to do is we have to take and what God's word specifically says, we believe it without reservation. And what it does not say, but we think as an explanation helps, we hold to it lightly. And say, maybe this will help you understand. So John 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The other two persons of the Trinity are present there with the Word in the beginning. And the Word was God. All three persons of the Trinity are God. Not that the three of them together make up God and each is one third of God. Not that they trade places, oh, you're God for today. All right, I'll, I'll step down. I'll let you be God today. Nope, uh, But that all three of them are completely God, whether together or alone, which technically, God can not be alone. But you, you get the picture. You understand what I'm trying to say to you? Is that when we read John 1, we are looking all the way back before the world was ever created. In the beginning, where else do we see in the beginning? Genesis. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. John tells us, before that moment, Jesus was there. He was there With the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he and they together were God and are God. So we have to understand this. The story of Jesus does not begin in the Gospels. The story of Jesus begins before the first page of the Bible is ever written. It begins in eternity past as the word part of the the trinity of God, the one true God, living in perfect fellowship together. When we look at the nature of God, it's kind of like I am my own best friend kind of a a, a picture when we look at the trinity. God in, in the the word, the father, and the spirit has always existed as one and yet three distinct persons who are in perfect, loving, harmonious, peaceful fellowship, unified in purpose and being. And so when we look to God, we are not looking at three different people in the sense of uh, uh, him, him, and him, but we are looking at one God who is in three persons, who is loving us and loving one another and inviting us into fellowship with him, them. And so we have to understand this is not something that just came about and Jesus didn't just pop into being in Mary's womb or on that day in the manger, but he has always existed, always been God, always been one with the Father and the Spirit, Always been in perfect, harmonious fellowship. John 1, 2. He was with God in the beginning. Now this idea of being with God, it's not about position or geography. It is about being face to face in relationship with It's it's used in the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the New Testament, the Old Testament to describe the relationship that God and Moses had with one another. They were face to face. It's used to describe intimacy between a husband and a wife face to face. So when, when it says that Jesus was with God in the beginning, it's not that he and God were like buds hanging out. But he's face to face in perfect, intimate fellowship with the other two persons of the Trinity. And so we, we, we look at, at, at this, this drawing again and we see how this, these, these unique persons, these discrete persons, Word, Father, and Spirit, are together God, united as one in perfect fellowship. But it's also to, important to understand that the Word is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father, and the Father is not the Word. We're not talking about one God who puts on different clothes throughout the course of biblical history. We're talking about one God, three persons in perfect fellowship. And the, the person of God, the Word, has always been in that perfect, loving, peace filled fellowship. And here's what we find out about the word. Not only is he God, not only is he one with the other two members of the Trinity in perfect peaceful fellowship, but it says this, all things were created through him. And apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. Now, When we read that first phrase, all things were created through him. Can you give me a list of things that you know of that are not created? Anybody? Your list would be pretty short. You maybe have nothing. And God. God. God is the only uncreated in all of existence. Nothing doesn't exist, so we'll, we'll get rid of that from the list, right? So, of the created things, how many of them were created by the hand of Jesus? All of them. Now, if he created everything, what does that mean about him? Well, that he himself is not a created being. The, the word, the person of Jesus is not created. We should not get in our mind at any point that the Father decided, you know, I need somebody to go on this mission and I'll make him like me and I'll, I'll give him all kinds of special powers and then boom, there's Jesus. No. Scripture is so very clear that Jesus is the, one, one of the persons of the Trinity, God as one united in peace and fellowship. And it is through him that everything else is created. He himself is not a created being. This has been a discussion in the church actually for a long time. From the very earliest days, the church struggled with the nature of Jesus because there were people who couldn't wrap their mind around God, putting on flesh and dying on a cross for you and I. And so they began to explain the nature of Jesus in ways that made them comfortable. They began to describe him as a created being, or as a man that was just filled with the Spirit of God at a certain point, and then the Spirit of God left him before his crucifixion. They began to describe him just as a, a, a Christ, a, a, a special teacher, kind of like a Buddha, somebody who had an, an extra special spiritual connection, but was just a man. And so we end up in 325, AD 325. A a, a group of church leaders is called together to decide who Jesus is once and for all. And from it we get the Nicene Creed. And here is what the Nicene Creed has to say about Jesus. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. Now when we read that word begotten sometimes we think of birth but that's not what the word means in this usage or in scriptural usage it means he finds his source in the father his his connectedness his being in the father but he is not birthed from the father nor does he have a beginning begotten from the father before all ages god from god light from light true god from true god begotten not made of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. Now what does this sound like? Sounds a lot like in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word was with God, and and through him all things were created. Sounds a lot like that, doesn't it? And this is the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus is not a baby born in a manger. Jesus is not just a man who walked the earth. Jesus isn't just a guy who God put a little bit of his spirit into. Jesus is God in the flesh. And there's no better time to remember this than the Christmas season. Because it helps us to understand the very gift that Jesus gave to us in his incarnation. Sometimes we maybe think that Jesus, by coming and putting on flesh, no big deal. I mean, you're God. You can do anything. Yeah, but no. As we make it through the rest of this morning's message, I want you to understand that Knowing who Jesus is before the gospels begin helps us to understand the price that is paid on the day that that angel comes and tells Mary that she's pregnant. The moment that that Jesus, the word, is within the womb of Mary, he has already paid a huge price for your salvation and mine because of who he is. He is eternal, not mortal. Jesus is a discreet person, not God in dress up. And what I mean is, is some have misconstrued the idea of the Trinity and think that it is one God pretending to be three different gods. And that is not the case. It is He is one God with three persons in perfect unity and harmony and fellowship and peace. And so Jesus is a discreet person in the Godhead, not just God in dress up. Jesus is God, not as some of our friends in Jehovah's Witness Land and other places would say a God. But he is the one true God, the God of the Old Testament. What's his name? Yahweh. He is Jesus and Jesus is him as much as the Father and the Holy Spirit are Yahweh and they are. He is them. Jesus is God, not a God. God uh, is Trinity in perfect peace, not needy or lacking. When we look at at how the Bible describes God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Father, Word, and Holy Spirit, we should understand that when we look at something like Genesis 1.26, and God says, Let us make man in our image. It is the Trinity in discussion amongst themselves. The one true God speaking in these three persons in perfect fellowship saying, Let us make man. But they don't make man because they're like, you know, Father, I'm just, I don't like hanging out with you as much as I used to. I, and so uh, the son says, you know, I, I'd really like somebody to talk to. Can we make somebody to talk to? I'm so lonely. Can we get a pet? No. We were not created because God needed us. Because God needed our love or our fellowship. We would, were created because God chose To create us for his glory. And we have the privilege of being in relationship with him. When we come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But but we must understand this whole story starts. Not in a God that needs something or wants something. But a God that is perfect. In peacefulness. And not needy or lacking in any way. And finally the thing to know about Jesus. Is that he is creator not creation. And so when we look at the baby in the manger, when we look at the man on the cross, when we look at the empty tomb, we should not be thinking that Jesus had his beginning in a prophecy and his end in a resurrection, but instead Jesus is infinite, eternal, God of God, light of light, begotten, not made, creator of all things. And the story of Christmas begins not with a proclamation or a birth, but it begins in the eternal history of the relationship of the triune God with Himself and how He invited mankind into that relationship and longed for us to know fellowship with Him. And then what does man do? We reject that relationship. We reject his perfect fellowship and peace and we claim for ourselves discord and sinfulness and death. We say, that's the gift we want (laughs) and God lets us take it for a time but begins to work out his plan to save those who would come to him through his son Jesus. Quick Bible, church, history fact. Most of us know there actually was a Santa Claus, a St. Nicholas at one point in history. I mentioned that, <clears throat> that council that was gathered together in AD 325, the, the Nicaean Council, Council of Nicaea, that, that bishops, church leaders from all over the, the, the known world came there to speak and to, to, to vote on the nature of Jesus according to biblical teaching. Among them would have been St. Nicholas. He would have been a bishop at the time. Uh, I can't remember the name of his church. Nowhere significant, not like Rome or Alexandria or Jerusalem, but a little out of the way city. He was the the overseer for the church in that area. And he was actually of noble-ish birth, fairly wealthy, uh, had been in the ministry for a number of years, was known to be a little bit of a hothead according to tradition. He comes to this council, and the council is actually judging the teachings of a man named Arius. And why is this significant today? Well, because Arius taught his followers that Jesus was a created being. A God, but not the God. He was lessening who Jesus was in the way that he taught him. And and so during the council, Arius, the man who is teaching false truths about Jesus. What is a false truth? Oh, that's right, a lie. He's beginning to stand up and share his teachings with the crowd of bishops in the room. And they're peaceful for a time, but, but there's a story about the first St. Nicholas and that he was so consumed with the glory of Jesus So consumed with making sure everyone understood that Jesus is God in the flesh. And not just a God, but the one true God in the person of Jesus Christ in the flesh. He was so wrapped up in in just believing that Jesus is who he says he is. And that he came to do what he said he came to do. That as this false teacher is sharing his teachings, the story goes that. St. Nicholas got incensed. He stood up when he walked across the room. He slapped Arius in the face. Some say he punched him. And then was promptly put in chains and taken down to the prison room in the, in the area they were meeting and stripped of his title of bishop for a time. Now, why do I tell you that? I got to, even Santa Claus was so consumed with making sure that we understand the true nature of Jesus, he was willing to to give up his title and slap a liar in the face. This Christmas season, we want to rightly understand who Jesus is. We want to rightly understand what he came to do. We want to rightly understand the gift that he offers us. So the the first gift we want to talk about is, is that he is peace incarnate. John tells us in chapter 1, verse 14, just a little bit later in the same chapter, he says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so John tells us this, this one that I've been talking about and describing earlier in the chapter, the word who, who in the beginning was uh, there and he was with God and he was God and he was with God and he created all things. This very same one, he came and he put on flesh and he lived with us. When we talk about the price that Jesus paid before he ever got to the cross to secure your redemption and mine, can you imagine you are God. And some of us, we can imagine that quite readily. We imagine it as we drive down the road and walk through the grocery store. My family likes to imagine we're Jedis. Uh, That is somewhat godlike, you know, that when there's a slow car on the interstate and they won't get over and they're in the left lane, you go like this. And sometimes it works. Can you believe that? We, we all, we can imagine what it would be like to be God. And, and the question is, would you give up the rights and privileges of Godhood in order to save people who had rebelled against you? Who were essentially, by their choice, your enemies? That's what God's word tells us Jesus did. God from eternity, the word who was active from eternity past and created all things that are created. He put on flesh to live life like we do. He became human like us. Here's how the Nicene Creed describes it. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. It's not that he was sort of human. It's not that he pretended to be human. It's not that he put on a a flesh suit and just kind of, you know, danced around in it and said, Hey, look at me, guys. I'm like you. But he, this person, the word, he gave up the rights and privileges of heaven And this person, the word, who had lived eternally in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit came down and became human. Fully human, completely human, just like us. So that we might have an opportunity to be saved by what he would do. John 3.16, when we read it, we begin to understand This this beautiful verse that many of us know by heart, when we put it in the light of the incarnation and the cost that the the, the very manger scene incurred upon the second person of the Trinity, when we look at what he had already paid to be like us and walk with us, that he might live sinlessly and die for us. Verses like John 3.16 are so much more powerful And treasure filled. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son. The Trinity took the peace that was theirs, the perfect fellowship that was theirs, and they set it aside that Jesus might put on flesh and walk amongst us. God incarnate. It's the price that was paid before the gift was ever fully given is just phenomenal. And why did he do this? So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 gives us more detail, just a bit. Because to describe this in its totality would take books upon books upon books upon books. Because how do you describe an infinite, immortal, all-powerful God... Setting aside those rights and privileges so that he could be made flesh. How how, how can you wrap your head around that? It would take oceans of ink and skies worth of paper to try and describe to us what this is like. Paul tries, though, in just a few verses, which we believe may have actually been an early hymn of the church. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, he doesn't mean he was similar to God, but he was God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Now we can understand why God, or why Paul, can say things like, Jesus is God, and he didn't consider equality with God as something to be held on to. Because he is God, and he's with God, and he is God, and he's with God, and Right, that he is a distinct person and yet still one with the Trinity. And so Jesus looks at the rights and privileges of Godhood and he is willing to say, I will put all of this aside in order to go and save mankind. I will put all of this down and walk away from it. It's still mine and I will reclaim it in time. But I will live as a human putting aside all my rights and privileges and the beauty of this fellowship and the amazing nature of eternity, I will put it aside so that people might be saved. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross." as we look at what the Bible has to tell us about Christ and the nature of the Trinity, we can understand that what Jesus did for us was no small act that first Christmas morning. That moment that he began the process of of growing inside his mother's womb, he had already made a huge sacrifice for you and I. Setting aside his rights and privileges that he might take on flesh and live and die for your sake and mine. Important things to understand this first Sunday of Advent where we celebrate peace. Jesus, he is one person. He is fully God. Yet he set aside the rights and privileges of his Godhood in order to serve us. And Jesus is also fully man, like us in every way, yet without sin. If you have an emotion, I want you to understand Jesus felt the same things. If you've had a need or a want or a lack in your life, I look at the story of Jesus and how he grew up and where he grew up, and I can tell you without any fear of being wrong, Jesus knows every lack. He understands every missing thing or incomplete thing in your life, every fear, every anxiety, every pain. Jesus understands them. He was fully human. Every splinter, every cut, Jesus understands because he's felt the same things and experienced them like us. And why did he come to do that? Why, why, didn't, why didn't God just from heaven go, you know what, I forgive everybody. <laughs> he couldn't. Someone had to pay the price for sin. Someone had to sacrifice so that peace could be made. And the Son, the Word, the eternal God, the one who, who was always in perfect fellowship, With the Father and the Holy Spirit was willing to set it aside to be able to invite us back into the peace of God by dying on the cross for our sins and making reconciliation for us toward the Father. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God wanted us back into his perfect fellowship and his peace. And he says, you can't do it, but I'm going to do it for you. And he does it by putting aside his privileges, taking on flesh, paying the price for sin, rising again, and inviting us to believe. And by believing on Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, we too can be reconciled by God, with God and brought back into the peace of God that passes all understanding. This That is, in Christ, God was reconciling or making peace with the world, bringing them back to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. First John 1 3 John writes this he says what we have seen and heard we also declare to you this whole story this good news of Jesus. We're telling you about it so that you may also fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ. When we partake of the peace, the reconciliation that comes to us through the sacrifice of Jesus by being born and living and dying and rising again, we are we're brought not just into a place where God likes us again, but instead we are invited fully into fellowship with him. And just as beautiful and perfect as fellowship within the Trinity is, we're kind of brought into the middle of it and we get to experience fellowship and peace In the same way, Jesus came to make peace with God possible for those who would believe. Not only that, but Jesus came to invite all of you who would believe into the peace of God's perfect fellowship. When we go to that drawing of the Trinity, it's it's much like we get invited right into the heart of the Trinity. When we believe, when we profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we look at the gift of the manger and the cross... God says, come to me and know peace and know perfect fellowship. Come be part of what we are. Come partake of our love for one another. Come be at peace. No wonder the gift that, that God gives, we, we, we look at it, this is so amazing. Not only are we at peace with God, but now we are also gifted the ability to be invited into the peace of God, And this is why on the birth of Jesus, the angels declared this glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Finally, in the birth of Jesus Christ, the potential for real peace was born again. Adam and Eve had it. Adam and Eve had perfect peace and fellowship with one another and with God until they chose to rebel. And now, in Christ Jesus, in the gift of the manger, we once again are given the potential for peace. In fact, God's word says this to us don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what will happen when we come to God and seek fellowship, when we submit our lives to Him, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus. Understand what talks about the peace of God. It's not just peace with God. But it is as we pray. As we come into fellowship. With the father through the son. We are invited into their fellowship. Into their peace. Into their unity. And so experience something. That is completely outside of ourselves. And yet. Exactly what we needed. So the challenge today, this first Sunday of Advent is to celebrate Jesus who gave up the glory of heaven to bring peace to all who would believe. When we look at the manger, we have to understand Jesus had already paid a high price just to take on flesh and walk amongst us. Only they have to live a perfect and sinless life to die on the cross and even greater price for your sins than mine. And rising again on the third day, he proved it's all true. He is who he says he is and can save you the way he says he can. And those of you who have believed on him as Lord and Savior, celebrate your Jesus. Celebrate him. He came for you. Celebrate the gift that's been given for you. Celebrate Jesus this Christmas season. Secondly, accept peace with God through faith in Jesus. Some of you this morning, maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's always that hard thing. I hear stories all the time of people who've been in church their whole life and then one day realize they need to trust Jesus. Pastors who are preaching sermons about the gospel, and then come to realize they've never actually received Christ themselves. And so it's always an important invitation, as often as I can remember, to give it. Will you accept peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ? If you've never understood the good news of Jesus, you've never understood that he's God in the flesh who lived and died for your sin, taking upon himself the punishment that you deserve for your rebellion against God and then rising again on the third day to prove he is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. If you've never accepted that truth for yourself and received the forgiveness of sin that comes through belief in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone and be be in a place of peace with God and invited into the peace of God. If that's never happened in your life, don't let another day go by. Now, there's no special prayer. There's no secret formula. It is simply that you, in this moment, make the choice and talk to God about it, understanding that you have sinned and fallen short, that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. And that you believe that he paid the price and you're ready to be at peace with God and come into his peace. And then finally, for those of you who are Christians, live in the peace of God by fully participating in fellowship with the Trinitarian God of all creation. How do we do that? Simple practices like prayer. Reading God's word. Worship. You're going to get busy this Christmas season. There might be a thing or two to make, a thing or two to buy, a thing or two to decorate. And the last thing that you need to do in a celebration of the Savior who gave up everything to come and save you is to let peacelessness consume you. And so this Christmas season, this Advent, this time where we celebrate the first coming and look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ, would you live in the peace of God by intentionally taking time to fellowship with the triune God of the universe and allowing his peace to wash over you. Spend time in prayer. Spend time reading your Bible. Spend time listening to worship songs and singing along. Come to church faithfully the rest of this Christmas season, not allowing the busyness to consume you, but instead allow the peace of God to overwhelm you. So these three challenges, celebrate Jesus, accept peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and then finally live in the peace of God by intentionally fellowshipping with your triune God who loves you so much this holiday season. Let's close with our last song, but first let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We we thank you for this time. We know that you are so beyond our understanding, and yet you have loved us. Jesus, we know that you are God, you are creator, sustainer, and that you too, in your fullness, are, are beyond what we can really wrap our mind around, but you have revealed yourself to us. You put on flesh and walked among us, and You chose to take on the struggles of this world in order to redeem us from the darkness of our own souls and the sin that enslaves us so readily. We pray that today we might, this first Sunday of Advent, remember you in both the manger and the cross. Remember you seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Remember you... From the very beginning of eternity without beginning, existing in God, that we might celebrate you for who you are in your totality. Knowing that the Christmas story doesn't just begin with a proclamation, it begins before creation even occurs. Where we see you, high and exalted, lifted high, in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. Inviting us into that peace and fellowship. If we would only believe on you as Lord and Savior. Shape our hearts and minds. May we be at peace this Christmas season. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.